Hi, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk About It, a podcast with a purpose. I'm your host, Molly, and now this week, as promised, we are getting back into our wild and exotic animal welfare campaign, and we are going to do that with an episode about kind of how we did with the problems with the zoos, but problems with aquariums and places like SeaWorld. I know that SeaWorld has ended their breeding programs, but they are not the only large-scale aquarium or place like that that does those sorts of things. And despite them themselves, you know, stopping. It's a huge win, of course. There is still a lot of room for improvement. And I think that you will notice a lot of similarities between this episode and what we talked about in the Zoo Dilemma episode. And that's because the issues that the zoos face are very similar to what we're going to see with the aquarium as well. But without further ado, let's talk about it. Like public zoos, the public aquariums didn't begin kind of, you know, quite like they exist today. And the origin story is actually pretty similar to that of the zoo. And basically what I mean by that is just that rich people got excited about owning something that was, quote, exotic and that other people couldn't have. But to be a little more specific, owning fish as pets and collectibles in general dates back really far anyway. Like, Egyptians, Greeks, Romans far, but early aquariums became really popular in a more modern sense like we think of today in the 10th century. And this happened when China began breeding carp, not for eating, but as like ornaments. And this eventually led to the development of the goldfish, which was really the catalyst for what we now the thing that we have now that we consider aquariums. And the goldfish caused a ton of awe and excitement and just like people got really, really excited about it. And so it of course got picked up by wealthy people, famous people, and it all just kind of took off from there. And this reminds me so much of what we talked about. Like I'm going to keep talking about the zoo episode because there's just so many overlaps where we saw, you know, early on rich people having these collections of wild mammals like tigers or whatever and how that really was the origin of zoos. So like I said getting really really popular more and more and the London Zoological Society began the work on the very first public aquarium in 1851. At the time it was called an aquatic vivarium it just like a little uh, fun fact and it wasn't too long after that that the term uh, aquarium was coined and that's of course what we call them today uh, but this again like I was saying not only gained the attention of the rich but also people who were seeking exploitation and profit like P.T. Barnum who of course is the founder of Barnum and Bailey Circus which we are all very familiar with and all of like the cruelty that that caused Uh, But anyway, public aquariums started popping up all over the place and just like getting so popular. But there were so many early problems with them. One was that fish were 
not being bred for these aquariums, which is, you know, not necessarily a bad thing, but the alternative is that they are instead being taken away from natural sources like lakes, rivers, oceans, of course, you know, things like that. And this, of course, disrupts the natural population and ecosystem where all of these animals were living, especially when it's being done in the large amounts like it was at the time. And then, of course, that eventually wasn't enough for people. You know, it just wanted like more and more and more and wanted things that were more, you know, quote, exotic or tropical. You know, they grew tired of seeing the same species over and over again that were native to their area. So there was this demand to bring in more exotic, tropical, colorful fish. So now fish are being taken from other parts of the world, which, of course, disrupts the ecosystems there where those fish are native to but then you're transporting all of these fish and that is not you know necessarily a simple thing to do so so many of these fish died in transit and then even if they did survive the trip people really didn't know how to recreate the conditions let alone a fish in captivity but especially these non-native fish that were living in completely different environments than these people were used to and much different from you know the local fish that were living there so all of these tropical or you know non-native fish ended up dying anyway in conditions that were kind of horrific for them that were very much not suited to their needs and in general like I said there wasn't a lot of knowledge about the conditions anyway that were required for keeping fish in captivity things like cycled clean water pH levels, oxygen levels, you know, stuff like that. So overall, really just a lot of fish, native, non-native, they were just dying for no reason other than people trying to find ways to keep them locked up. And despite what you might think, more and more research is supporting that fish in aquatic life do experience some sort of pain and suffering. It may not be exactly the way that we do and other mammals do, but they do experience some sort of it. So, you know, like it does matter that they were slowly dying in what can be considered like pretty horrific conditions for them. But the problems didn't even stop there with aquariums. Even with what we do know about fish, like their habitats and what they require, the ecosystems in which they are native to are so complex you know it's not just as simple as like a body of water these natural water sources again like rivers oceans lakes etc they are what they are because they are a part of a larger ecosystem you know there's like there's so much air around it there's trees plants all this other life like birds and amphibians and reptiles and all of that plays you know, little roles in the environment that the fish live in. And this can be just really difficult to recreate all of that for fish that are living in a captivity. So another problem that a lot of aquariums have, or is just kind of um, a part of aquariums are things like petting tanks or touch pools. And if you're not sure what I mean by that, or if you've like never seen anything like that, it's basically just some sort of human animal interaction thing where you can stick your hand into the tank and touch the fish or the animals or whatever is living in there. I have mostly seen them myself with like stingrays, starfish, things like that. And this poses a few different like risks and problems here. One you could be adding bacteria or things like, you know, you have, we all have that on our skin. And when 
so, so many people, like one person doing it probably wouldn't be enough to make an impact. But when so many people are doing it, it could be adding like bacteria and changing things about the water and the ecosystem, making it not as suitable for the animal that's living there. And two, there's always a risk of these interactions going wrong. You know, the animal's not necessarily, I mean, I guess they're used to it in the sense that it happens all the time for them there, but it's not a natural thing for them. And we don't know if they're going to become distressed or disturbed and then lash out in some sort of unpredictable way. And in a lot of the touch pools that I have seen, it's like completely open. There really is no regulation or supervision. Like a child could just reach into it and do whatever without, like I said, really any supervision there. It's not like there's always, from what I've seen anyway, an employee that's there making sure that the kids are you know, being gentle and handling them appropriately or, you know, teaching them anything about it. So in my opinion, it's just kind of unkind. Like some kids are pretty young where they may not know that they have to be gentle or they just don't get it and they squeeze or pull or stretch or whatever. And I just don't really like it that much. It is worth noting that I did see one study that reported cow nose stingrays, which is usually the type that will be in these petting tanks or these touch pools or whatever, uh, found that they enjoy being pet in these tanks. And, you know, I think it, you know, that just, that seems nice. It seems nice to allow people to do that if it is making them happy. But I think that a lot of the other issues that we talked about still apply to this situation. And a lot of these stingrays that are in these types of pools have their barbs being the part that they could hurt you with removed in order for it to be safe for the visitors to be touching them, which in itself is kind of not very ethical. You know, maybe if they had an injury and it had to be removed or something, I don't even know if that situation exists, but just removing them in order to create these touch tanks, to me, is not very ethical in itself. And kind of like what I talked about with the other types of um, touch pools or tanks or whatever, where children can just go in, you know, it's like, this doesn't mean that children are going to be kind and all visitors will be gentle and kind. And we just really have to question if the benefits outweigh the risks here just because it might provide a little happiness for the stingrays. And if it is so beneficial to them, then trained zoo employees should be petting them and giving them that care the same way that they are, you know, they are the ones that are providing all the other care, like feeding for these animals. But like, we don't allow guests to engage in this other type of risky behavior just because it benefits the animal, if that makes sense. So all of this brings me to the next thing that I want to talk about, because one of the most common human-animal interaction attractions with aquatic life are performances and shows and things like swimming or riding with dolphins. I, of course, know that dolphins, whales, seals, penguins, things like that are not fish. However, you know, they're very often lumped in with the aquarium and the aquarium world. And I think it's very important to talk about. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about SeaWorld specifically. We've probably all seen Blackfish or something like it. And yes, SeaWorld, like we said in the very beginning of the episode, has ended their breeding program. But they still have shows 
you know, performances from the orcas for guests to watch. And beyond them, there are many places like SeaWorld that still breed in captivity, do human-animal interactions and trick-based performances. And it doesn't matter how they say they are doing it. It really just isn't ethical. Remember, when we were talking about the circus and taming a wild animal in our circus episode... Well, we have to apply that same logic here. Remember that we said that there is no ethical way to train a wild animal because it can only be done through fear, force, or withholding food or water, something like that. And this applies to the shows that dolphins, orcas, seals, and, you know, even more than just them are forced to do every single day. They cannot consent and they cannot be ethically coerced into performing these tricks. It just like is not natural to them and in no way benefits them. It is literally only for making money, and that is wrong. And just like with the zoo, we have to talk about confinement, because even under the best water conditions, the best treatment, no unethical training, we have to consider the morality of keeping a wild animal in a cage. Like, yes, these orcas and dolphins and sharks, they're all wild animals that are being kept in a cage. We talk a lot about the Animal Welfare Act on this show, and we are talking about it again now because it really is the only thing that these places have to follow. It is the bare minimum, and it sets the bar so freaking low that it might it might as well not even exist. For example, a bottlenose dolphin, which spends its days in wild normally swimming up to 80 miles a day, is only required, according to the Animal Welfare Act, to live in an enclosure that is 24 feet by 24 feet and just six and a half feet deep. That is basically like a swimming pool, but even most pools are deeper than that. They're eight feet deep which is just insane. And because of this, we see so many dolphins and other large aquatic animals displaying signs of neurotic stress, like swimming in circles, changes in their body, like the way they hold their body, aggression, and so much more. You may be wondering if there are any benefits to all of this. Like zoos, there is this claim of providing education to the public and conservation, you know, helping species that are struggling with their natural numbers and population, helping uh, kind of combat that. So just like with zoos, research shows that this really just is not the case. It's just not true and it's more misleading than anything. In a study, a same study that we actually talked about in the zoo episode, it looked at not just zoos but aquariums as well to determine just how much education children really receive during the zoo and aquarium visits. And no surprise, they didn't in that study. And they don't. Honestly, it was difficult for me to find concrete examples of successful conservation efforts made by any like one aquarium. So I don't want to say one way or another that they do that aquariums in general help with conservation or don't. I couldn't find anything. What I will say and what I could find or couldn't find is that I would imagine if they existed, if an aquarium had a successful conservation breed and release or something like that, you would want to boast about that. You would be so proud of that and it would not be difficult to find. So why 
why would I be having such a hard time finding it? I couldn't find anything. And I also looked up the most common types of species that are at aquariums just to kind of like get an idea of if they their population is actually struggling. The most common types of fish at aquariums had very few on that list that had any population that was under some sort of serious threat. Some of the most endangered species of penguin are amongst the least common in zoos or aquariums. The most common dolphin that is at most like aquariums is the bottlenose, which is categorized as least concern. So its population is doing just fine in the wild. Humpback whales are amongst the most common whale species in aquariums, and you guessed it, also listed as least concern. However, the most common shark at the aquarium, generally, is the sand tiger shark, which is actually considered vulnerable and facing extinction. However, there have only been about 15 successful births of the sand tiger shark in captivity. So if aquariums were truly helping with conservation, shouldn't we see them with species that are actually endangered in the wild, not well and thriving? Like shouldn't the species that are most common, like commonly at zoos, be ones that have like threatened or endangered numbers in the wild? Because otherwise, what's the point? How are you helping with conservation if the animals that you are breeding have numbers that are just doing like are doing just fine it doesn't that part doesn't make any sense to me so it makes me believe that claims of conservation and education are false and nothing more than a poor cover-up for exploiting animals that could truly use our care and help because like we said in the zoo episode there are animals that truly need our help species truly facing extinction animals that get like individual animals that get injured in the wild that could be rehabilitated and deserve to be cared for. So like I said in that episode, I don't think the answer is no aquarium type place whatsoever because I do believe that we have a responsibility to help injured animals when we can, you know, help them get better if they can, a responsibility to do true conservation work to increase species numbers. Because like I said in the zoo episode, we do have such an impact on why some of these animals are threatened and because of that i do think we have a responsibility to do true conservation work but that does not look like keeping perfectly healthy animals in captivity especially when their wild numbers are already doing so well it does not look like forcing animals to perform or let people ride them or anything like that that at all it looks like people who truly care helping these animals heal and grow so what can we do As always, vote and donate if you can. Just say in it to get it out of the way because more than anything, what I want to talk about is the way that I think you can make such a huge difference in more of like your day-to-day life is just to avoid these places altogether, especially places like we always say that allow for human-animal interaction. You'll know it when you see it. Trust your gut. And I also just, like I said, really want to talk about this a little bit more specifically because rides with dolphins and swimming with dolphins and things like that is so, so popular, but it is truly such a dark industry that 
just needs to stop. So, so many dolphins are being kept in enclosures that are way too small, like too shallow, too small, just everything, not suitable whatsoever. They're underfed. Just so dozens of people a day can ride and swim with them every day. And this is just not what they are meant for. Like, I can't even imagine being trapped in a cage every second of every day just so people could come and, like, use me every day. Like, this is a form of trafficking. Dolphins are so emotionally intelligent. It is, it's just not okay. And there is one company that I hope you will avoid at all costs that is responsible for just about every swimming with dolphin attraction in Central America, and that is the Dolphin Company. They probably have other companies with other names underneath them, but like I said, just in general, avoid anything that is swimming with dolphins because you probably could bet money on it that it's not ethical. I will have a letter template on our website, letstalkpod.org, that you can use to send the dolphin company a letter telling them to stop using dolphins in this way now. There are many accounts of previous employees that have worked there or at one of their various locations because, like I said, they have many, many locations. And they were kind of secretly disclosing to some sources. So I guess take do with that what you will. But I believe it because I just believe that that this is a cruel industry and there are so many accounts of it that I just don't think there's any other way it's happening. And it's just disclosing how horrific these conditions are that the dolphins have to suffer through. And it is just never worth it so someone can just get what they think is a cute picture of them with a dolphin. Like if you truly love animals, you will leave them alone. So please, please just avoid it altogether. Vote with your dollars and take away their demand because at the end of the day, That is why they are doing it. They're not doing any of it for the dolphins. It has nothing to do with them. It is just so they can make more money. And not to mention how dangerous it even is for the people who are doing this. Because like we've said a thousand times, you really can't train these animals and you never know how they're going to react under this type of stress. And if this in particular bothers you as much as it bothers me, I will have a petition linked that relates to this and ending this um, wherever I can have it linked. And like I mentioned before, the Animal Legal Defense Fund is always a good organization to donate to if you can and you want to go that route because they fight for legal justice for all types of animals, including fish and aquatic life, which is a huge part in ending cruelty against all animals, big, small, scaly, or fuzzy. It really doesn't matter because they all deserve it. 